Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. This week's Major Spoilers podcast featuring Zach on film is brought to you by Derek Viger. Wow, I pronounced that wrong. Raymond Caritas, Russell Cat, Michael Feiweger. I'm going to go with that. Richard Kubik, Jeffrey Sire, Daniel Purcell, Darren Apple, Trevor Iflute. That one I got. And Charles Albaugh. If you have a really long and complicated name, hit us up because this one goes out to them. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. On the air. Pod, pod, podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen. I've been listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast. 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 The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 506 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Thank you for doing whatever you do. Because you are wonderful, beautiful people, and we what love each and every one of you. What you do, you oh, make yeah. us want to shoop, shoop, shoop. All right, so we are Drunk. waking up from our long watching of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Zach. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen. Nice slumber after it. It is time for another installment of Zach on Film. Zach on Film! This week, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Sergio Leone's uh, masterpiece, some might say. Starring Clint Eastwood and a bunch of other people. Oh, uh, 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 what's his name? Not uh, Marvin. Uh... Yul Brenner? No, <laughs> not Yul Brenner. No, uh, he's in the Magnificent Harrison Ford. Seven. Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef, yes. The, the Master, Master Ninja thing. Yep. So if anybody's ever wondering where that comes from, Lee Van Cleef was in a movie Lee called American Ninja. Huh. No, All he right. was actually in a television show called The Master. Oh, was it? Three issues of three episodes of which were then re-edited oh, into, into a, movie. a quote unquote <laughs> theatrical release called American Ninja, which by the way, uh the kid in there was a Van Dyke, who I believe his son or was the son of Dick Van Patten or something. So, you know. Hey, careful there, Matthew. Whoa. Uh so this story takes place 
during the American Civil War. Right. And we have the bandit Tuco, who mm-hmm. is the ugly, uh, teaming up with uh, Angel Eyes, the man with no name, Clint Eastwood. So this is mm-hmm. this is the third Blondie. in the se- oh, I'm sorry, Blondie, Blondie but the yeah. Angel Eyes uh, is uh, Lee Van Cleef. Right, I'm sorry. Right. But yeah, he teams up with uh, with Blondie, the good, played by Clint Eastwood. And I can't remember if this is the first in the Man with No Name series. I forget oh, which one it is. Oh, man, I was looking at the other. And... Doesn't really matter. I mean, it doesn't... I think it... I mean, I'm going to say something, but it's probably going to be wrong. So, Fistful of Dollars and a Few Dollars More had not been released in 1966. So, technically, they were shot before we got to this one. And uh, then we get to... The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yep. So, uh, essentially, Blondie and Tuco are after a treasure. Mm-hmm. And Lee Van Cleef is uh, also interested in the treasure. He also wants some, some of that uh, $200,000 Let me, in uh, gold. Yeah, $200,000 in, in Confederate gold. Confederate gold. So, Zach, um, why don't you give us a rundown of what happens in wow. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? It's really long, right, but really I mean, I think long. we kind of summarized it, right? I mean, yeah, I think they're going after some, uh, some, some Confederate gold. I mean, if I had to explain to someone, I would essentially say, uh, at first, it's like three separate storylines of um, the the good, and then the bad, and then the ugly. And two of them, I mean, they converge, uh, oh, fairly early into the movie when you consider it's almost three hours long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's essentially um, uh, a ride across the desert to find some gold with some uh, stops along the way of being involved in the Civil War and then so, uh, jumping on a couple trains. Yeah, do you know where this takes place? I believe it is either Arizona or New Mexico. Right? Uh, I don't believe so. I think the the thing is, no? it is the South, and um, maybe I just assumed that it was. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Arizona or New Mexico, because yeah, they're looking for Confederate gold, right? right. And, and I thought they said something about the Grand Canyon at one point, but maybe I just and put that in from a different movie. So originally, when I when I thought of, when I saw this film, I thought that it took place in California, right? Oh, okay. Because that would make sense yeah. for this kind of Western theme and going after the gold but it actually takes place in like it's supposed to take place in like texas um okay, I, I can, and um i can still go with that i'm trying to find the actual location yeah, which is one of those weird ones that um just when you think about it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. uh especially if if it's not supposed to take place in new mexico or arizona or extreme southern california Yes, and so this brings us into the uh, into the topic. Okay. And this brings us into the topic of movie. the spaghetti western. Yeah, and Zach, you know the definition of the spaghetti western. Not really. Okay, so a spaghetti western, also referred to as uh, uh, Italo western movies mm-hmm. or Euro western movies, uh, is a genre of films or a subgenre of the western film that came out in the nineteen sixties when. Sergio Leone and a bunch of others um, basically made Westerns starring Italians and released in Italy um, originally. Um, They often would cast uh, Spanish and German and American actors like Clint Eastwood Mm -hmm. in these. Uh, But they were originally released in uh, in Italian. And if you watch The Good, the Bad and the Ugly, 
uh, you know, Tuco is basically overdubbed for a lot of that. And even if you watch almost all of the characters, are yeah, yeah, except and even if you watch, sometimes you'll it looks like Clint Eastwood Clint is being re overdubbed, yeah. and mm-hmm. as is uh, Lee Van Cleef. Um, that was like I watched about the first twenty minutes of the movie because actually, there's not a I don't believe there is a line of dialogue for the first almost ten minutes of the movie. Right. And then they actually started talking a little bit. And I was like, there is something wrong with my Blu-ray player because their voices are not matching up with their mouths. And this is driving me insane. Right. So I let it go for a while. thinking it would correct itself or something. I was just being way too attentive to what was happening on screen. And then I finally took up my phone and I like Googled lip sync on Good, Bad and Ugly really quick. And I had to find out what the deal was. And that's actually the way it was made. Yep. Right. Well, I mean, it was originally uh, right. Italian they, actors they, 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 doing they all their lines. Actors that they would just allow them to speak in their native language to do the lines, and then they would overdub them once it was done. Which I th- thought was once I read that, then I was completely okay with the whole not lip syncing. So there are a lot, number of different places in Europe um, that were used. There's actually a back lot in Spain. It's called Mini Hollywood in Spain. Uh, because the back lot looks a lot like the Old West. Hmm. And so portions of it could have been shot there, uh, right. all over the place. Uh, but uh, my understanding is a lot of the spaghetti westerns were shot in Italy, oh, okay. um, on the western coast of Italy. and um, uh, But along Spain and, uh, as mm-hmm. well. And so they got this originally a derogatory term, a spaghetti western, to refer to Italian number one, mm. and also mm-hmm. to mean that it was less than a regular western. Um, a lot of critics early on just racist. panned. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, a lot of critics early on just panned this import of the western film genre and saying, well, what do they know about making any kind of a, of a western film? Right. And then eventually, because of uh, Sergio Leone and um, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Fistful of Dollars and A Few Dollars More – uh, people became came to accept this as the, it's a, a legitimate sub like a, a genre, like a subgenre, and accepting of the yep. term uh, spaghetti western. And so we see so many people, just like we refer to black black exploitation films. A lot of people are referring to this style of movie mm-hmm. as a spaghetti western. Uh, wow. So when you look at again uh, Kill Bill, or mm-hmm. when you look at Man with the Iron Fists, or you look at some of these others that have a feel of a Sergio Leone film. Uh, there's another one that was remade, and if you get a chance to see it, it's called The Good, The Bad, and The Crazy. Uh, it's a Korean oh, film. The Weird? Uh, I'm sorry, The Weird. Right. Yeah. Um, have you seen that one? I have it. I haven't finished it yet. Okay, so, Actually, I stopped watching it, and then I was like, I'll watch it after I watch this. So, yeah, watch it now mm-hmm. after you've seen Good, The Bad, The Ugly, and it's the exact same story set in... I guess a Korea, Korea. Uh, of, of that time period. So you'll see that it is the exact same story down to not the gold that they're going after, but the treasure that they're going after at the end. And mm-hmm. it's not what you think it is, but it has the same kind of play out, including that very epic, well-known um, scene at the end right. where all three of them are having their, their standoff with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, or Matthew, do you have something to add on to the spaghetti Western genre? I think the, the thing that, when you, well, when you look at it in terms of spaghetti western, it's another example of that derogatory term not only being embraced, but the derogatory term no longer has any derogatory right. weight. Mm-hmm. Because right. when you say to someone with a film background, it's it's a spaghetti western, or it's in the style of a spaghetti western, A, you know what it is, and B, most of the time they're like, ooh, I kind of want to see that. Mm-hmm. It's really awesome to see that European take on something that's so fundamentally American – 
you know, and you'll hate this because I'm going to once again reference the thing that I always reference. It's kind of like watching Power Rangers, which is Japanese superheroes. This is Italian cowboys. So there are things in there that you wouldn't normally see in any other Western cowboy movie. But it's kind of that perspective. It's the the Morricones and the uh, what's his name? Feliciano. I can't remember the, the director's name. Jose oh. Feliciano. <laughs> of this film, Leone is the is the director of yeah. this movie. Yeah, Le- yeah, Leano. That's what I said. <laughs> uh, sure, but it's his it's his take on that American type history that isn't really even history. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, a European take on an American myth. So it's fascinating to see not only what they do with that myth, but what they do with the camera and the things mm-hmm. that weren't part of American filmmaking before the spaghetti western started showing up on our shores. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So a um, few dollars more had done really well. Um, UA United Artists came and approached Leone to do this film for around $1.3 million, of which Clint Eastwood walked away with $250,000 of wow. that, plus a 10% cut mm-hmm. of all the money that the movie made in North America. So, Well, he was already a pretty good-sized name in 1966. Yeah, what was that TV show that he was in? Um, Rawhide. Rawhide. So that had just ended in 66, mm-hmm. and so that's when Good, uh, good. Uh, I'm sorry, The Man With No Name, uh, Fistful of Dollars and A Few Dollars More had yeah. come out. And so he was able to command, you know, that $250,000. Um, Leone was not happy with that. Uh, Lee Van Cleef came in and um, doesn't say how much he was paid. Uh, and then oh, Eli okay. Wallach, who played uh, Tuco, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Leone was actually concerned that Tuco was going to upstage uh, or Wallach was going to upstage the entire film and, and run away with it just because of his character. Right. And Leone was really trying to sh- give audiences a feel for what the Civil War was like, including when they were thrown into the prisoner of war camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the that song... Uh, and I forget which one it is. I I don't remember if um, uh, Marcone uh, actually did that song or not, but I believe it was up for uh, an Oscar. Um, the uh, the prisoner song. Yeah, the prisoner yeah. song. And um, I am the very model of a modern Western <laughs> prisoner. No, that's yeah, not it. Uh, but uh, you know, it was a you know it's a pretty you know he was trying to capture the Andersonville feel of the prisoner of war of, of everything that happened there. And so he was really serious about going into this and wrapping this, you know, epic adventure around stuff that's happening in the war. So as you see, we start off with Tuco at the, uh, the hangman's noose and uh, Blondie freeing him. Mm-hmm. And then the, then the two go through um, one of the burned out cities um, oh. that have taken place. And then yeah, as yeah. they're making their escape to where this gold is hidden, they put on the wrong costumes and wind up in a, uh, or a, a not yeah, costumes, kind of uh, uniforms and yeah. wind up in a prisoner of war camp. And that was probably, you know, honestly, I think that scene is probably one of the ones that still gets a chuckle out of me where they're looking through their spyglass. Oh, yeah. And they're wearing Confederate uh, outfits and they're looking through and they're like, oh, uh, here comes some Confederates. Yeah, yeah, here come the grays. Let's put on our gray uh, suits. And then as the uh, army approaches, uh you know, they're because, wearing you know, and all this Confederate, yeah, yeah, yeah. Confederacy and, long and general, Lee. general, general comes up and dusts himself <laughs> off and they're blue underneath and they get thrown into the uh, prisoner of war. Yeah, that's actually pretty funny. 
so give me your impressions of this. I mean, this is a really long movie, and even for 1966, this thing's like two and a half hours long, I want to say. Yeah, if you look at all the different cuts. I, I watched the... This was the 2003 extended cut, oh, which okay. was 179 minutes. Yeah. And there's others like... Holy moly. The original, yeah. the original run time it's was like 177. Uh, yeah, there's so... Yeah, and it's been cut a different bunch, and there's done a lot of different run times, but it is a long movie. Why do you think it's long? Give me some examples of why it's long. Well, well... What makes at, it if long? You look at the is, shot, it, is it pure it's plotting? A, is it pure plot? I think... I, some of the plots, I think, you could have taken out. That entire... After they get captured... That that whole scene of them blowing up the bridge. Oh sure, I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Well, I don't, they, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 the I, only way they could get across to where the gold was was to get those two armies from right. fighting one another. So the only way to do that was blow up the bridge. But why did it need to be forty minutes long? <laughs> well, true. But why was it forty minutes long? Why was the stuff in well, the his, desert, you know, so long? Well, his, why his was shot takes or the editing? Well, not it's more like well, it's editing and the shot sequences are so long out drawn out shots so what aspect ratio was this shot in you um, know um aspect ratio uh <laughs> do you know what point, aspect ratio is three five by one <laughs> i know what it is 16 7.62 by 3 27 42 well, I'm, I'm looking at it right now on imdb you want to repeat that 2.35 by one 2.35 by what one okay so that means it's incredibly wide. This is mm-hmm. this is borderline. I think anamorphic is two point eight five to one. Yeah. So this is an incredibly wide shot that's also very narrow. And at the time that Cinemascope was coming in and uh, the anamorphic uh, shots were coming in, they're really trying to compete with TV. So you have these shots like in The Searchers, no, which is a John Ford movie, definitely. which is just incredibly. Let's take a look at this landscape mm-hmm. because we can shoot this big landscape mm-hmm. and look how small the people are in this landscape. And so as they're going across the desert, wherever that <laughs> desert may be, yeah. you know, you're seeing these big wide vistas with the theme songs running underneath and you just see the the horse and wagon going along right. in these very big wide shots. Or when you're coming into a town that's being bombed out, you're seeing an entire town bombed out, not, you know, a building or two, but you're seeing an entire city. Mm -hmm. And then when they get to the prisoner of war camp, you're able to pan across all the carnage of those people that are dying or dead or just, you know, beat down uh, by the process of being in a camp where they get beat up all the time. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to shoot something very wide like that, you can't follow that three second... um, general rule of cutting yeah, cut rule. right so you've got big 20 second shots mm-hmm. and 30 second shots yeah. and so it's it's there to take in the spectacle of what this piece is when you though get into the last scene and this is kind of the inverse of of showing the big majestic shots when you get into that final scene where it is the the, the showdown and even that showdown from the point that they start running down into the cemetery area to the very end of the film that's 40 minutes right there you don't realize yeah. that it's 40 minutes, but it's like 40 yeah, that's minutes like long. Quickest, that's like the quickest, I felt quickest paced thing, right. but it was a, still a chunk of time. In that, the the music is driving mm-hmm. the action. Um, but again, as the showdown goes on, he takes that super wide shot and he's able to start pushing in closer Push and closer mm-hmm. and closer and closer until you get that extreme wide shot. And because of the aspect ratio, you can actually just get eyes. the entire eyes. Yeah. If you were in a... 16 by nine or heaven forbid a four by three you'd be seeing in that close of a shot you'd either be cutting off part of their eyes and getting their nose in the shot but you wouldn't be able to get just that close-up of the eyes in the shot seeing the sweat drip down 
seeing Blondie being cool, seeing Tuco's eyes shifting left and right, seeing Lee Van Cleef casually looking left to right at everybody in there. And that's what really makes this aspect ratio stand out as as one of those things that people look at as cinematic. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, Tarantino fell in love with his style. And so when he talks about extreme close-ups, he's talking about let's get in there close. And so... This is this is a good example of a of a genre film that really takes the aspect ratio and uses it to help tell the story. Now, in this case, it does slow down because when they're riding across the desert and when let me uh, is this the one that has them in the monastery with the brother? Yes. Okay. Uh, I've been watching too many westerns, <laughs> um, but you know the the stuff that takes place there it is slow because you're yeah. in a wide shot and things tend to visually move slower when you're looking at them in a wide angle as opposed to close-ups. And this is a, got a, this is a lot of wide angle shots. A lot of wide angles. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> what is it? The sequences of Tuco dragging Blondie through the desert after oh, yeah, he yeah. comes and gets him again. Mm-hmm. That was, a, I mean, I don't know how time-wise it long, but it felt really long for all the huge seven, shots seven they did. Seven, it was probably about seven days. Yeah. Um, huge long sequence of just deserts and them on the landscape and then finally kicking over water buckets um kicking over water buckets so i think everybody knows maybe they're not familiar with the uh with the theme song let me see if i can get it uh matthew get it probably to play it. probably i'm sure <laughs> yeah wah, wah, wah. So Morricone, or Morricone, Ennio Morricone, I mean, this is, he, this theme, if you listen to this throughout the entire movie, literally All the way through. runs through the entire movie. It will hypnotize you it is drive not, you out of your mind. It's not one of those that, you know, it's not like, um, John Williams does this a lot, where you get a, a theme for a specific person, the Darth Vader theme, mm-hmm. uh, the Imperial March theme, um, that runs whenever Darth Vader is kind of in that area or those uh, a little bit of melody will find its way into the other movies. This is one where literally this song follows you throughout the entire yes. movie. And it's only when you get to the end of the movie and they're in the showdown that the music really hits its peak. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you start to see the cutting of the movie or the editing of the movie following the pace of the music exactly to the point where whenever they whenever they shoot. Right. Um, so that's something that else that I think is really, really important. Had that, had that technique of oh, sure. taking a tune. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Used before? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, this isn't the first time that we've seen this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just that this is um kind of an epic kind of an epic song that's right. easy to remember because it's got that whistle to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, my dad had whistled this to me when I was a young kid and I didn't even know what he was talking mm-hmm. about. It wasn't until years later when I finally sat down and I think Matthew and I probably first saw this when it aired on television. And you're talking about the Sunday afternoon movie that literally lasted from noon until dinner time because yeah. of the commercial breaks that were that were going on yeah. in this. Mm. Three um, freaking days. Yeah, it seemed like a long time. But you know, when you hear this music, it's like instantly recognizable. And then when you hear others of, and I'm, I know I'm butchering his name, uh, Morricone's uh, uh, music, you hear the influence, and you can instantly tell. Um, what is his stuff and what isn't his mm-hmm. stuff in this piece. Uh, and yeah. again, going and looking at influence, look at the, um, the RZA and the Quentin Tarantino style, and they borrow elements from here. They borrow elements from, uh, 
oh the guitar uh surf music yeah. uh, type stuff yeah. um I dare, 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 dare. Yeah, yeah. Dare, oh, I, dare, I love dare. that. I, you know, and the, you know, the whip cracks and the, yeah. you know, the, the hard guitar stuff. I, I love that have kind you, of stuff. I, you, you haven't seen Django yet, have you? No, I no. have not. It's not out on no, iTunes yet for a while. Uh, it's, I think it's, it's coming out soon. I think I pre-ordered it. Oh, cool! It's soundtrack. I really like it. It's nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm betting that it's the same. Yeah, it's still kind of style. The RZA does it all of his movies. Yeah. So, then, what else about this movie? Did you like it? Oh man, I've been thinking about that and I still am not quite sure if I like it. Um still digesting. Well, yeah, I that's probably part of it. Um it's just so long <laughs> that that was kind of uh a negative at points because it's like I just yeah. I so just, if you want to see, sit here for like three hours and watch this. Um, so the beginning, okay, like if I could take it in chunks, like the beginning <clears throat> is really, really good when they introduce all the characters. Mm-hmm. Really solid. Like if I like the first thirty minutes is solid. The last about hour with the whole cemetery scene mm-hmm. is really good. Um, but that mainly that middle that middle section when they get. Caught up in the war again yeah. was probably my least favorite part because up to then you got Tuco and Blondie hating each well working together and then uh, betraying each other and then coming back together to fight uh, Angel Eyes and his little posse he works up in this in the town which is all really cool and you get a lot of uh, images that pop back and forth with the noose over the mm-hmm. uh, wherever they're sticking their head in the noose and that was uh, a really nice recurring. Um, bit through the movie and then it ended the movie yeah so a few dollars more in 65 good the bad and the ugly 66 and the man with no or if, uh let's see fistful of dollars in 64 that's the order mm-hmm. that they came out um if you want to see something that is just as long and i don't think quite as quite as engaging although a lot of people think it's peter fonda's best work is um once upon a time in the west which is another Sergio Leone film. Oh, uh, yeah. It came out in 19, I want to say, geez, when did that can come 68. out? 68. Okay. Yeah. Um, it is just as long. It's got a really great, it's got a really good story to it. But again, I think the pacing is what kills it. Mm-hmm. And Peter Fonda really is a bastard in this, or not Peter Fonda, Henry Fonda is a real bastard in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's got Charles mm-hmm. Bronson in it. It's got Jason Robards in it, who also plays a, a, a bad guy. Um, it's, I'm not going to say go out and rush out and see it, but yeah. it is a very good film and it encapsulates, uh, this, uh, movie, um, uh, this style very good. He also then in the eighties did a film called once upon a time in America, which if you've sat through all three Godfather movies at once, mm-hmm. you get a sense for once upon a time <laughs> oh, in America, because it's also very long. It's got Robert De Niro and James Woods in it. Okay. It follows a ga- group of gangsters growing up in New York, uh, um, throughout, uh, and throughout the twenties, all the way through the through the seventies, wow! Uh, in this piece, so um, he's really he really takes a, a story and runs with it, and and draws it out for mm-hmm. as long as it possibly can. I wouldn't recommend watching all of these movies at once, Couldn't but I would give yourself a month in between. Yeah, Matthew, you said it takes time to digest a film. It does, and I think that if you watch something, it's perfectly valid to not be sure if you love it or not. Or to not even be sure how you feel about it. Because the first time you see something, there's 
just tons of things going on. You may not notice what eventually would become your favorite part of the whole thing. Uh, one movie that I never really cared for when I was younger and the first few times I saw it, I was like, eh, this is silly. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Sure. Mm. If you ask me now, it's probably one of my top five films of all time, simply because there's so much going on that when you're a kid, you're focused on the effects and the Oompa Loompas and the silliness. You don't necessarily have the time to think through and go, oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. And with a three-hour movie experience, there's a lot of things to go, oh, about. This movie is just full and full and full to the brim with stuff that you have to sit there and go, wait, what? Oh, right. You know, it's one of the longest movie experiences you're likely to run into on a regular once upon a time in America, without going way back. Once upon a time in America, I think is longer than um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly because I had to sit through it in two different sittings, uh, in two different. Uh, I think the version that I watch, oh, the 2012 restoration, two hundred and fifty-two minutes. It's like what? a five-hour movie. Yeah. What? Two hundred and fifty-two minutes. That's like. That's like D.W. Griffith breaking the rules. As it's like he an entire week. Kind of yeah, I had to I had to break it down into two different sessions of like two and a half and three hours each or something like that. Holy yeah, crap. I don't even go to work for five hours. <laughs> at a time. Um, That's insane. You know, before Much I, growing up, I really hated the Western genre. I hated it with a passion. Yeah. I mean, I could stand uh, John Wayne's The Cowboys, but mm-hmm. my grandfather loved John Wayne, would watch any John Wayne movie. My dad really liked yeah. Westerns. And so I was just like, bleh, I don't like Westerns. Yeah. Uh, my Matthew, grandpa and dad like him. And the only one I've ever really liked is The Searchers. Yeah, The Searchers is pretty, pretty good. good. Although the first time Matthew and I saw this, we basically sat in the back of the room during film class <laughs> and made fun of all the stereotypes, <laughs> you know, that ran through um, I am Clint Eastwood, and I am being dubbed into English. And I had I had seen The Good and the Bad and the Ugly before, and I was like, oh, it's a long, boring Western. Especially because you watched it on regular television with all the commercial interruptions. Oh, yeah. And then um, it wasn't until, man, until I was way into, um, after college, maybe even when I moved to California for a few years, mm-hmm. where I actually sat down and said, I want to watch this western again and i think i said i'm gonna i'm gonna make a commitment to sit down and watch the man with no name trilogy i think it had just come out on on dvd mm-hmm. and i said i'm gonna make a commitment to sit down and watch this and figure out why this is really good and you know um fistful of dollars is basically um akira kurosawa's um yojimbo story mm-hmm. in fact it is that story um a few dollars more is okay uh, but then when I got to the good, the bad, and the ugly, I was like, holy cow, I understand why this thing works the way it does. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I have a greater appreciation for the Western genre. So for me, I'm looking at, you know, 35 years of being subjected to Westerns and going, I hate this genre, to realizing what made this special, to finally appreciating the genre for what it is, and to an extent liking it a lot more than I used to. So, yeah, I think it, it can take some time uh, to in, in order to appreciate something. Mm-hmm. What are you taking away from this, Zach? Um, well, I mean, there's a couple of things that um, you can take away from this movie, not production-wise, from I think from writing. I think it was um, 
besides the link, I think the character development that was uh, played out with mainly Tuco and uh, somewhat Blondie, but I think Tuco's uh, like characters up and downs of uh, love, hate, funny, mean, uh, were all very interesting. Pr- production side, um, definitely uh, scoring and pacing that with your editing it was a big takeaway from this movie um showing landscapes maybe and the beauty of your whatever you're shooting and i mean <laughs> i didn't honestly know about the whole ratio thing so i i guess a way to look at that is if you have a new um technology or film um invention if you want to go with that uh-huh. uh that people haven't seen before, you should probably take advantage of it and see how you can make re- audience react to new stuff. Like, I think, I mean, kind of the big thing right now is like they're all red cameras and everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's not much you can do with that and that audiences will know. But, uh, I mean, try it out. See what you can do with the whole DSLR uh, thing if you want to update what? that whole approach from this movie to a digital DSLR. age. Now you're yep. just making up stuff. Nah. Digital single lens reflex. Yep. Um, uh, context is it. necessary for those of us who aren't day to day tied to a film crew. Not day to day. Good, the bad, and the ugly was originally criticized for its depiction of violence. So Leone would go in and say, "Hey, the West was violent. I exaggerated it because I wanted to make a tongue-in-cheek satire of the run-of-the-mill westerns." The West was made by violent, uncomplicated men, and it is this strength and simplicity that I try to recapture in my pictures. It wasn't that violent. Uh, For 1966, yeah, it was. In 1966, it was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go back, if you look at the the scene when... uh, Right, or if you look at the scene at the beginning where Lee Lee Van Cleef comes in, is threatening the guy, the guy's pleading, no, 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 shoots the oldest boy who Mm -hmm. could be 20 or 19... Mm -hmm. Shoots the father in the head, mm-hmm. shoots the woman, and then goes after the young boy. Now, you don't see him kill the boy on screen, the yeah, little no, child, yeah. but it is implied that he yeah, killed bad. that kid with extreme prejudice. And then he killed the, the old guy. hanging sequences, yes. mm-hmm. the gunfight sequences, the violence in this film, especially based on if you go back and look at Westerns mm-hmm. from the 40s and the 50s, I think you can probably watch all the way through Hondo. And not see anybody actually die. Even in the like the knife fight sequence, which is all 3D, stabby, stabby, you don't actually see anybody croak on panel. People just kind of slump over and stop moving. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Or the or the the extreme, you know, raising the hands up in the air and clutching their heart. Oh, you mm-hmm. got me and spinning around <laughs> kind of stuff. But look at look at when uh, Tuco is getting beat up in uh, the prisoner of war camp when they're trying to get information out of him. I think it's Tuco, wasn't it? No, yeah, or, Tuco. or was it Blondie? No, it's Tuco. So Tuco, I mean, his face is a bloody mess and you're seeing that guy just wail on him for minutes, yep. throwing him around. Mm-hmm. And you hear this, you see the reaction of the people outside who can't, who can't see what's going on, but they hear it. And because they're forced to play that music, yeah, that the prisoner a, song, you know, it brings scene. that yeah. emotion even further up into the, uh, into the, uh, uh, into the, in the forefront. A lot of people still, though, pan this movie just because it was that spaghetti western. And because it's done by foreigners, what do they know? It's junk. Mm-hmm. It's crap. Um, 
But I think this is a film that really stands up over time. And I think it is worth checking out. And if you, I guess if I were to say, if you were going to look at the, at some other Leone movies, certainly, um, Fistful of Dollars, which I think is on the list. Let me just look here. Eh, it's not on, on this short list. It was on another list at one time. Uh, but look at a fistful of dollars. The list is actually just go to the internet. And, and <laughs> no, I, I oh, actually no, had a, a I have a really, I used to have a really, really long list, and then I, I knocked it down quite a bit. Uh, but I know fistful of dollars used to be on there. But I would really say, look at Once Upon a Time in America before you watch Once Upon a Time in the West, because I think you really need some time and distance between the good, the bad, and the ugly, and Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, and so you said you were going to look at editing and music then, going forward? Yeah. Uh, anything else that you got out of this movie? Would you recommend it to people? Hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, you got to go in with it, with the attitude that it's not the fastest-paced movie in the world. It's not anything that you would see that released in this decade, or the last 2000 uh the decade of the 2000s uh definitely not a movie you would see released now so you need to go with it understanding the time period and how long it's going to be and then yeah i think this is a movie you can you should probably watch especially if you're in film and stuff like me and steven and stuff you should watch this yeah it's it's definitely one are you do you feel cheated do you feel like man what a waste of my time oh no i don't i don't feel cheated um i actually well, I actually bought this so I could actually watch it, and I still feel good. I actually want to go back and watch um, all this, this the fun special features on the on the disc. oh on the DVD. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I kind of miss out. If you decide you really like westerns, I do recommend Hondo. Yeah, Hondo's really good. Um, what's the other one? Um, there's another really good western that really stands out. That's kind of violent along that same lines. Um, I, I actually like the original Young Guns as a flat-out Western, which isn't half bad. Um, the Wild Bunch, Sam Peckinpah. Oh, yeah, the Wild Bunch. That's one. what I'm thinking of. The, the yeah, other the thing... The Wild Bunch came out a couple of years after The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and I think The Wild Bunch is what I consider to be kind of an American take on the Italian take on the American <laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> so if you like John Wayne, awesome. if you like John Wayne, certainly Hondo. Mm. And then go yeah. look at the original the True Grit. Seven. Oh, Magnificent Seven. It's on this list. We're going to get to Magnificent Seven here before too long. It's actually coming up soon. Uh, next time we've got Enter the Dragon. That's Bruce Lee. Then we've got Pulp Fiction, and then we've got Magnificent Seven. After that, those are the next movies on the list for people that want to go out and uh, check these films out with us or ahead of time. If you're going to buy these movies, or if you're going to get them through maybe your Amazon Premium account, head over to Majorspoilers.com. Click on that Amazon link and buy your movies through there. A little bit comes our way and helps defray the cost of putting together this fine, a fine podcast for you. Okay. Um, oh, uh, speaking of, this is something that always fascinates me when we're looking at, um, at movies, mm. when Mammoth, the Iron Fist came out, immediately downloaded it, bought it. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Then it's like a week or two later, I found out they have the one that you bought the unrated version. Yeah, right. What's, what's, what's a, what's bonus on the, uh, unrated version? What more, is oh, it more violence? Is it more? It oh, you haven't? Okay. No. Um, it came with theatrical and unrated so i'll get to watch them and talk yeah kind of kind of compare those two because yeah. that'd be interesting i mean i went ahead and got the unrated version too mm -hmm. i haven't watched it yet um but i um I'm, I'm very curious to see what the difference is between those two films and oftentimes when you're going out and buying these movies like yeah. 
you said this one has the theatrical and the mm-hmm. unrated version. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's a good way to compare the two. Oh, yeah. uh, hopefully you like the movie enough to watch it a second <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, but it might, which one, which way you're going to watch it? Theatrical, then unrated or unrated and then oh. theatrical? Hard. Always watch the unrated first. Yeah. Cause I feel like that's more of what he would have done. Like without, um, a studio saying, uh, no, we got to cut some stuff out. To, so we can get into the theaters. So I feel like the unrated is generally what the director actually wanted. So I'd rather go well, with that it's, first. It's also kind of a deductive approach when you say, okay, I'm going to watch this unrated movie. Then I can watch another version of it with stuff missing rather than <laughs> yeah. watching it and watching a second version and being focused on, oh, wait, this is new. I've never seen this. Yeah, I guess yeah, I, for me, sense. I guess that's the that's the nice thing is that, oh, I haven't seen this part before. So then I know when the unrated material was added in even Mm -hmm. if it's a few seconds um so i I tend to go with theatrical first so i can see how it was originally presented to mass audiences and then the unrated after that i actually had uh and it's probably apocryphal but i had a friend who swore that his grandfather was the best butcher in the world and when you asked him why it's because rather than put all your stuff on the weight and then pull some off yeah he would put some on there. He'd make sure, and he'd always lowball it, so that he had had to add more. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's kind of the opposite when it comes to a movie. I'd rather have that movie give me all the stuff, and then I can watch it again and go, "Oh well, they cut something here, but this helps, and they took that out, and that character's gone, and I've thrown the cat out the window." I'd rather know that long version, mm-hmm. so that when you watch the shorter version, to me, it feels like I I will pay attention more. Right. You know what I mean? Rather than I, this movie now, there's parts where I'll be sitting here and I may zone out and I'm like, oh, wait, this is something I've never seen before. Unrated version I don't know. on Man with Iron Fist runs 12 minutes longer. So I wonder if that's more Jamie Chung stuff. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. She used to be on Real Did World. She? she was a real world girl. Jamie Chung. Well, so was Mike the Miz, but that, you know. Yeah. Well, I don't want to see her. I don't want to see him running around half naked through a movie, so. Um, <laughs> well, unfortunately, you better not watch wrestling then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness I don't. His, his underwear of power with the awesome written all over his butt. She's in a Cincinnati <laughs> Dame to kill for. Yep, she is. And she was in, um, she was in uh, Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch. Yeah. yeah. Hey, major spoilers. This is from Russell Cat, our good friend in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I recently learned of Cartoon Network's cancellation of Young Justice and the Green Lantern cartoons. Uh, this was announced, oh, a couple of weeks ago when they announced their, their upcoming schedule that uh, they were indeed bumping the, uh, the, the block of films. Now, Young Justice, it's been kind of on that on-again, off-again chopping block for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Green Lantern surprises me. Maybe it's, we didn't have high ratings. I know a lot of fans were watching both of those shows simply for the interstitial Shorts. parts in between. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Russ Cat goes on and says, I am not pleased. I feel that the shows were not given a fair shake by management. One thing in particular that angers me is that neither show released a season one box set in either DVD or Blu-ray. I'm a box set purchaser by nature and have been waiting to spend money on these shows for quite some time. I feel that canceling these shows before their natural ending points makes the chances for seeing any box sets from these shows rather dismal. Um, well, there are box sets of season one of Young Justice. Um, I think they come in two different parts. So it's like part one, part two. And I think the, um, whatever that five year later story arc is collected on a DVD too. So you'll probably have to go out and buy, you know, a couple episodes at a time. Certainly not like the thing that I hate where you buy two 
episodes per disc. Oh my God. That sucks. Yeah. Um, but I, I would imagine we're going to see a collected thing. If you've got iTunes, I mean, if you're not a big fan of DVDs, certainly you can buy the entire seasons on uh, iTunes or whatever, probably catch them on Netflix or whatever. I have not really watched, but one episode of the Green Lantern cartoon is, was it any good or is it any good? I know our good friend Thomas Perkins, uh, who designed our critical hit t-shirts and often provides smart for major spoilers, uh, was one of the character designers. But did either of you guys watch that show? I watched, um, I think like the first three episodes and that was it. Was it any good? Did you enjoy it? Mm, um, it was okay. I didn't really, I wasn't the biggest fan of the animation. I think was, yeah, the, the 3d style. Yeah. I didn't like the 3d as much. Um, but yeah, mainly just the animation. Besides that, it was just how battling some red lanterns is all I saw. And I didn't make any farther advice that, but justice league. I watched, I liked that. Yeah. Young I, justice. I, I really I like young justice at the same time, mainly because, I had to do like football late yeah, Friday yeah. nights and I didn't want to wake up and watch them anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of the same way with Young Justice. I kind of ended it at the end of season one mm-hmm. or that Halloween episode and then I haven't watched it again, but we're trying to get back into watching yeah. the remainder I of mean, the stuff. It was good. So Oh yeah, Young Justice is really canceled. good. I mean, it was already on. Didn't it go on a huge like... Yeah, it went on they, for like a, a six months break. hiatus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it was, they were only running it in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So it was having a huge break or something like that. It was really a it was pain. weird. I remember yeah. people really upset about that. Mm-hmm. Matthew, have you watched uh, Green Lantern? Matthew? Matthew? Shows that he's online, what? I think. Oh, there he is. Well, is he there? Hello. Yeah, my microphone's up. Oh, okay. Hello? Hello. Yes. Have you ever watched the Green Lantern cartoon series? No, I haven't watched Green Lantern or Young Justice because of my issue with adaptations. Mm. Uh, you kind of have to make the adaptation something new for me, mm. like the the big anime influenced Teen Titans series. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is coming back. They're bringing well, yeah, that back. Yeah. But it's, it was basically the Wolfman Perez Titans right. done in a new style with, you know, new edges and new bits. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. Yeah. And when they were adapting actual episodes, like when they tried to do the Judas contract mm-hmm. in kids cartoon form, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work for me as well because it's a kid's cartoon and the Judas contract <laughs> isn't. Right. No. Now, I, I have no great love of Hal Jordan. I've always found the Hal Jordan character to be kind of a Mary Sue, which is why you'll see me talking about how awesome, you know, Alan Scott and, and, uh, Oh, what's his name is Guy Gardner and Chasselon of Barrio three. Uh, I always liked the one who had the head that was a carrot too. What was his name? Flaming uh, carrot. Tomar Ray, who was a <laughs> I like you. Like me some John Stewart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And listeners, you yeah. might want to head over to uh major spoilers.com. Matthew has a, uh, a really good uh, hero history on John Stewart, uh, this month. Actually, it's, what, been eight months or so since the last one. So maybe it's the uh, hero history of Jon Stewart uh, for the year. (laughs) The plan, the plan, the plan is for hero history to be a monthly or better feature. Yeah, and it would be great if we could get our, if we could hit our funding goal, Matthew would actually hit that every month. Because it would be part of his, part of his duty. So again, here's the, here's the deal. I would try for a bi-monthly. I would try to have two hero histories a month in addition yeah. to, you know, the awesome that is awesome. Yeah. So, so here's the deal. Would, we are trying to raise money. 
to expand all of the content that we do on major spoilers, plus some additional stuff. Uh, so we're asking people to give uh, $5 a month through a recurring donation over at Majorspoilers.com. For those people that want to get into a members-only area, once we hit uh, 4,000 people on the members-only area, we'll open that up. And we'll, we've got a bunch of other things. We've got at least – I'm pretty sure we've got at least two new podcasts that are going to be members-only stuff for the people who do the $10 a month. And then I've been trying to look at uh, working away for some other bonus items for people that mm. uh, sign up for the $10 a month recurring donation. Uh, so hurry up and get those because I don't know how long it'll last. And I've got to talk to somebody at a special website that sells stuff about getting discounts for people who are our $10 a month recurring donors. Oh, no, Steve Jobs died. Ooh. Yeah, it's not anything Apple, but I mean, oh. people like to wear uh, major spoiler stuff. So if they know who we're dealing with. Victoria's Secret. Yes, Victoria's Secret major spoiler stuff. We know that you love scantily clad women. <laughs> we do too. Oh, uh, Russell Katz says, I'm thrilled to hear some other commenters specifically mention that they reside in Canada. I think having a sense of breadth of the major spoilers community is great. Um, we have listeners all over the world. I think the only place we haven't heard from is China or Japan, although our friend Takashi contacted us from Japan mm -hmm. after the earthquake there. Um, I mean, but we've got Australia, New Zealand, France, England. Haven't heard anybody from Russia. Finland. 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 Finland, yeah. Finland, 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 the country where I want to be. All of our stats indicate that uh, most of the continents check in uh, yep. two major spoilers in at least some way, shape, or form. You uh, nine guys in Antarctica got to step up your game. Yep. Uh, Christopher writes in, hey, guys. Firstly, I love Zach on film. I'm really shocked. Shocked! To hear some of the films he's never seen before. But at the same time, somewhere deep down inside, I'm thinking, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to get it here. What do you think of it after watching it for the first time? <laughs> <laughs> now on to the actual reason for the email. And this kind of goes into our Green Lantern uh, comment a moment ago. I had an argument with a girl from Texas on Facebook a few months ago because she was upset that someone had told her that the next Green Lantern would be African-American and Muslim. I told her, as far as I know, the only time the Green Lantern was... White was in the recent film, and I have no real interest in what his religion is, if it makes any sense for the story and the character. I've not really read much Green Lantern, but I remember a Justice League cartoon on Cartoon Network. I ended up blocking her, and she's still blocked, but recently I've been thinking about it again and was wondering, you guys think that skin color or religion is important? Would anybody care if he was from the planet K-Pax and received his Green Lantern powers from his god, Neptune, after praying to him seven pages while dancing Gongman style around Gotham? <laughs> That is from Christopher. Okay, first of all, many, many Green Lanterns from many, many different systems around. So you have Green Lanterns of every shape and size and species. Uh, first Green Lantern that we knew on Earth. Color. Uh, first uh, Green Lantern on Earth. Uh, Hal Jordan, a white guy. Incorrect. Incorrect. Oh, am I incorrect? First Green Lantern on Earth was Alan Scott. Oh, Alan Scott. Uh, if we're talking about, you know, more of the... Uh, now, Green Lantern core. Outer, outer space. Yeah, yeah. The Lantern core. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So but he is the first Green Lantern and his powers do come from a source related to the to green. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about the main Green Lantern Corps. Then we had what? John Stewart was second, right? Of Earth. Uh, or was Guy Gardner second? No, I think Guy Gardner was third, right? Guy really, Gardner was guessing. second. John oh, okay. Stewart. Yes. Um, Charlie Vickers, who was a short timer, who uh, was not, oddly enough, the Green Lantern of our sector. Right. Charlie Vickers became uh, Green Lantern of a different sector, which is kind of awesome. Okay. Um, yeah, there are tons of them. Uh, so we've had African-American. Kyle Rayner. Kyle Rayner. Crabface uh, Green Rainer. Lantern. Uh, but most recently, 
most recently, and this is where uh, the girl from Texas, I bet it's not a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon Baz. Simon Baz. Simon yeah. Baz is African American and Muslim. Is he African American? I don't know. I'm pretty sure. Well, I thought he was. He was just ambiguously I thought, brown. I thought yeah, he was okay. like Lebanese. I don't think or okay, maybe he is explicitly. All right. So, African-American. but he is of yeah, a. He's, he's non-white. He's either right. Non-white and Muslim. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the question is, does it really matter about color or religion? Well, well, you have. Yeah. You have to ask yourself, what does matter? You're right. Mean. Is it important to you? Well, maybe not to You're, you, that's but, it doesn't, it matters, but it doesn't matter. It matters, it matters to, to the somebody. character inside the story, but if it, 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 it does matter, matter. To you. and I think that it's important to remember the reason that Simon Baz exists, and I think the reason that Simon Baz exists is because somebody said, you know what? We need to have a character who is Lebanese or Arabic descent. We need to have a character for inclusionary purposes or whatever. We want to have a character who is actively well, practicing the Muslim faith. And that goes into the word that you just did there, Matthew, inclusionary, right? We're trying to include right. as many people as possible. And when we look at, not specifically uh, this character, but when we look at um, black characters in comics, what were they reaching out for? Black Lightning? Um, well, you go back John further Stewart. than that. I mean, John Stewart is nineteen. Oh, Lo- Lobo? John Stewart... John Stewart was probably it by in 1971 was probably only the fifth or sixth black character to be a superhero. Uh, the you, when you say African American, the first black character, the Black Panther, is actually not American. Right. He is actually from Africa, so right. you can't say the first African American. I didn't say African American. There was no. I was just I'm making sure. the semantic point to be a tool. Sure. But yeah. <laughs> You know, you, if, you look at the Black Panther in '66. Right. You look at you know there aren't very many. Characters. What, what year was Lobo? What was Lobo? He was like a Western cowboy. He was a cowboy, and he was from 19. I want to say '67. He's the first black character to headline a book with his own name. I guess there mm-hmm. was a character, a Prince Zulu of the Zwembe or some such, in Jungle Tales in the '50s. But I don't necessarily know that that's really an example that we want to look at. Because <laughs> he's, you know, he's a guy running around with feathers on his head going. Unga, but, unga, but the main, re- I mean, not just the, I mean, it's just not, hey, let's just throw someone of color into our book. It is, hey, let's include somebody that the target market that we're trying to sell to can identify with. Exactly. When North Star came out in the 90s, it was a big deal. Did it matter? I think it mattered to people who have an opinion. You know, if you think it's a really good thing that we had an openly gay superhero, then it matters to you. And if you think it's a really bad thing that we had an openly gay superhero, then it matters to you. This this kind of thing has been happening since 1938. You know, the first female superheroes took a lot of guff. Wonder Woman, who was more powerful than any of the members of the Justice Society at the time, ended up being their secretary. Right. For like six issues before she ever got to go into battle because she's just a girl, even though logically within the internal logic of the DC universe, she's more powerful than anyone save for Green Lantern. She was the girl. And even when she was fighting, she was still treated as the girl in battle. So I think that 
I think that baths specifically is a good thing up to a point. Right. It's a good thing that, that we have a character who is a, a Muslim character, an Arab American character, who is not just a recurring, you know, person who pops up or not, you know, the villain in the piece. He's not terrorist number 15 who shows up and gets blown up by Guy Gardner. Right. Mm-hmm. He is part of the Green Lantern Corps. But then when you say to yourself, okay, what does Baz do? I don't know. Where I haven't read Baz any of the books. Go? I haven't read either of them. How does Baz act? It's like, let's talk about the Punisher. Frank Castle is, Punishes. and in the 80s, was very heavily tied into that 80s motif, that Rambo motif of a Vietnam veteran who came home from the war and was, was changed or, you know, scarred, whatever you want to call it. But when you say, what does the Punisher do? It's not about a Vietnam vet who. Right. The Punisher is a character who's driven by the murder of his family to go out and find people who do bad things and shoot them in the face with the tools and the skills that he has. So the Punisher can be written as a compelling character, even though in his backstory you have that little cliche bit of a Vietnam vet, or a, probably now he can't be a Vietnam veteran anymore, but he's still a veteran who went you know, overseas, fought in a war, came back, lost his family, and used the skills that he got as a soldier to take the war back to crime. So I haven't read much – I haven't read any New 52 Green Lantern to speak of, so I don't necessarily know what Baz is like. But you say, does it matter that Baz exists? Well, yeah, because there are still people who want to see themselves or right. see part of themselves in the comics. There are still people who want to see a superhero who is also a practicing Muslim. There are people who want to see superheroes who are – openly gay superheroes who are african-american superheroes who are girls there are probably people somewhere in the universe who love telus because you never see a purple and yellow superhero and they're purple <laughs> and yellow and they want to know what's going on you know yeah I, you I know i don't tell you that my love of bouncing boy doesn't come from the fact that he is the only one who resembled me at the point in time when i started reading comics i cannot say that to you with certainty i would like to but psychologically speaking, seeing that fat kid out there fighting side by side with Superboy and making a difference may have affected my love of the character of Bouncing mm. Boy. I, I would be interested to get Rodrigo's perspective on this. He's not here. He's off doing something for PBS. Uh, yeah. Again, What's this is one of the reasons up? why we look for funding to make sure that everybody can be here when we need to be here. Um, but I would be interested in, in his impression of characters like Vibe, who – come off very stereotypical and there's a brand new vibe series uh, that just kicked off this week from DC comics. And I want to see how that character is treated. I mean, yes, you can go down into a terrible stereotype. I mean, even I would argue that um, Luke Cage was clearly when he started. Yes. Cage was Mm -hmm. a very terrible stereotype. And if you read seventies, Luke Cage comics, People are calling him racial slurs right. in the comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, they don't bust <laughs> out the biggies, but you have villains calling, you know, the main character of the book Spade, which is, right, right. you know, offensive. Right. You have characters throwing this down. And Vibe specifically, part of the problem with Vibe was that Vibe was written as – I think Vibe was written by a white guy who got drunk and watched Break Into Electric Boogaloo. No doubt. He was 
He was a Puerto Rican from New York who was who used his skills as a breakdancer and his metahuman powers to become a superhero. Vibe affected a really thick accent, man. And Vibe, he said, she don't know nothing about nothing. Vibe intentionally in the stories affected this fake accent to to seem more street or more cholo or whatever. The, right, I right, hope right. that's not an offensive word. I'm sure it is. If it is, sure I apologize. But he tried to set up this this expectation of himself. And there's a very cutting and meaningful scene for me as a Vibe fan. Yes, they exist. Vibe got shot and Steel is carrying him to the hospital. And Steel's like, what happened to your accent? And Vibe's like, shut up, chump. <laughs> when, when it got serious, right before he was murdered, Vibe decided to change his attitude and really focus on being a superhero and being a good person. And then they killed him. Yeah. Just to stab it and make it hurt a little more. But Vibe is a character who, um, George Perez, who drew JLA Avengers and is himself Puerto Rican, hated Vibe so much. That if you go through and read JLA Avengers, mm-hmm. every single person who ever was an Avenger, from Proctor to the Hulk to the other Hulk, everybody appears in that book. Everybody appears except for Vibe. There is one shot of Vibe's legs on one panel of one page. That's how much Perez found that character to be offensive. Hated that character. And I can definitely see that. I mean, it it mattered to George that the first Puerto Rican character in comics was, to his mind, stereotypical and well, and that's why I yeah. and I. It's not that I have no interest in reading about a Muslim Green Lantern. Although my understanding is, and this is just you know from what I've gathered from stories that have crossed over major spoilers, is that part of his ethnicity and religion has played into how he is perceived by others. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to change that perception through his actions as a green lantern. That's, that's what I'm, I'm gathering away from a lot of that. I I read like the first issue or some first two issues he was in. Mm -hmm. And then I realized there was a big crossover spang a blank and coming in. And I said, Nope, not reading this. I I just haven't read green lantern because I just haven't found green lantern as a whole interesting sense Sinestro Core War. <laughs> if you go back to John Stewart's first appearance, which I recently read, uh, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah. Hero History over at MajorSpoilers.com. Green Lantern 87. Hero History. John Stewart and Hal Jordan clash in that first appearance because uh, there's a politician who's being targeted by assassins. What? This politician is openly racist. Oh. And he talks bad about African-Americans, about black people. Mm -hmm. And John Stewart is like, no, this guy's a schmuck. He's a racist. John figures out what's going on because John doesn't assume that the racist is in the right. Hal doesn't figure out because Hal figures that the authority figure wouldn't be lying, wouldn't be part of the problem. So in that story, they took... You know, as much as you could get away with in 1971, they took that concept of race relations and how it affects your perception, and they played with it a little bit, and they Mm -hmm. made it part of John's origin. But John, I'm sure, you know, in his appearances, especially in 1984, when John took over being the primary lantern in the book, first time anybody but Hal had been in the book, it mattered. And people talked Mm -hmm. about it. And it happened at the same time, you might recall, or roughly the same time that uh, Tony Stark was taken out of action and Jim Rhodes picked up the mantle mm. of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. 
that's something where the characters were doing what they were doing. Monica Rambo in that same time frame took, took over, over Rambo's as job. Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah, she took over. Rambo's <laughs> I job. She, Rambo's she took job. over as Captain Marvel when uh, Marvel bit the big Twinkie. There was a lot of that going on, and I think that that mattered. But if you look at it now, if I say now it was probably a big deal in 1971 that the Green Lantern on the cover of this book had dark skin, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily know that that's something that Zach is going to go, huh, I, I see how that would be an issue necessarily. Yeah, I, and I think you know, that I, this is, you know, and I don't want people to, I'm not saying that it matters only if it's from a marketing standpoint, but to, a, to an extent it is because you're trying to reach a broader base of people. <laughs> So when you're looking at a character of different uh, ethnicity or sex, it is, again, who? what's the market we haven't tapped yet? How can we reach out to them and include them in the process? It's not like, let's get our greasy fingers on their money, too. <laughs> that may be right. part of it. Right. But I think a larger part is how can we include more people reading this, this medium? How can mm -hmm. we get more people into comics? Roughly the same time that North Star came out in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, they relaunched the Legion of Superheroes with the five-year gap Legion. And during that story, perfectly naturally, perfectly understandably, it was even set up the same way they would set up any other romance, Lightning Lass and Shrinking Violet, who are both female, mm -hmm. fell into a relationship. Now, it was 1994-ish. They were straightforward about it. They never said lesbian they never said anything about it but again this is the legion the legion is a thousand years in the future the writer did the best that he could under the expectations that he had of making it clear that it's not an issue in the legion but i do remember hmm. being in the old chat rooms this was kind of pre-internet the mugs and the moons there was, <laughs> was wreck arts comics oh yeah yeah that's still around wreck arts comics legion yeah and people were just talking about this there were people who said this was wonderful and people who said it was awful and it ruined the characters and it was a big deal but i imagine if you were a young woman and you were of a lesbian persuasion and you saw this in the book i imagine that that would be something that would be awesome mm -hmm. up to a point and i think that when it comes to this kind of when you know steven used the word inclusion or maybe i used it and then steven i think you used it, it and then i referenced it that inclusion is important but it can't be the only thing it can't be you can't have the token character you can't have mm -hmm. you know back in the 60s at marvel comics every team had a girl you had your wasp who was basically a housewife heroine who had shrinking powers and wouldn't get in the fight and then you had marvel girl who was basically a housewife heroine who had telekinetic powers and wouldn't get in the fight and you had the invisible girl who at the beginning could just turn invisible and wouldn't get in the fight. But that token girl being there was still impressive. And in 1961, the fact that these are women and they're up front with Cyclops, even if they're just kind of standing behind him and going, oh, Cyclops. Right, right. I, you have to imagine that that makes a difference. That step, that invisible woman standing next to Reed and, and maybe ducking, made it possible for us to read about Storm made it possible for us to read about Kitty Pride. made it possible for us to read any number of books with female protagonists. Sure. Like you know, Whiteout. You know, I, I, all you of know, these things, they build on themselves. I, I like 
I like having teams and I like having characters that have a variety of backgrounds. I like seeing teams that are of mixed race. I like teams that are of mixed uh, gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I really enjoy that. And so even though I like a lot of the pulp books, one of the things that really bothers me about the pulp books, especially like masks, is that all right. the characters are white. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah. mostly white guys. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, we got and, what? And uh, mostly blonde white. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. And so it. <laughs> With blue eyes and Germanic surnames. And I, and I'm not a big, I mean, I like <laughs> the pulp characters, but I think, you know, when you go back to the time period that that comes from, that's a huge failing of, mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. whole genre is that you don't have a lot of different people represented. But I look at, was, and as much as I bag on. Right. Oh, yeah. They're usually a bad guy or whatever. But um, or worse, you get the spirit sidekick Ebony White. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or uh, the Blackhawks Wang Chan. If you ever saw mm-hmm. Chop Chop in mm-hmm. action, good God. Mm-hmm. Um, but as much as like much crap as I give um, Justice League Detroit, at least they were trying to include as many different people as they could and make that an interesting team, even though it failed miserably. As far as story wise goes, I guess for it some people, it didn't fail story wise. It failed sales wise. Some of those stories, retro review time, <laughs> are pretty freaking awesome. For me, I would rather read about the Detroit League than I would about Brad Meltzer's League, which was yeah, all the white people designed for inclusion. Br- Brad Meltzer's League was not all white people, though. Oh, that's oh, I'm thinking Brad of. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of well balanced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the thing about it was it was too calculated, too well-balanced. As much as I love characters, I love Roy Harper, Red Arrow, when written well. But Red Arrow in that book was, they were playing up, I think, a little bit of his uh, Native American heritage. And Vixen, whom I I dearly Mm -hmm. love, always loved Vixen. Mm -hmm. There was nothing for Vixen to do other than, hey, here's a female black character in that book. Black Lightning, man, you will never find a bigger fan of Black Lightning. And I mean that literally. I'm 6'3 and over 370 pounds. <laughs> Black Lightning in that book got nothing to do. Right. You know, they put Black Canary in the leadership position and still made the book about Superman, Batman, and to a lesser degree, Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. So you can't just have the character. You can't just say Black Canary is the first female leader of the league, woohoo, and then never have that mean anything okay yeah because she was the leader for what like six issues and that was it no she was the leader for like 30 issues oh really you know what we never saw her lead because the book was all about superman batman that's why i thought she was only in charge for a little bit and she's like i quit you guys have created a isn't that the one where they hit the 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 big three had their folded in inner space conference room that nobody knew about Yeah, yeah yeah yes and again that that story was about two leagues it was a, a, a league within a league but yeah, yeah. much as with civil war one side got more attention than the other and so it came down yeah, to a yeah. point where yes this is a great league and it had kendra in it who i believe is hispanic the hawk girl i mm-hmm. may be wrong mm-hmm. i don't know i always thought she was played as, hawk as girl. meaning to have been man uh, hawk girl man black lightning vixen yeah red tornado is an android that's yep. not a white blonde don't, don't you have an alien <laughs> in there a couple aliens Martian Manhunter no, in that group that, or not? He was not. Okay. Hal, it was Hal Jordan. It was Green Arrow, Black Canary, Red Arrow, Hug. Uh, Red Tornado, Vixen, Black Lightning, Hot Girl, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman okay. in the initial incarnation. Okay. It's been I so long. I think Geoforce joined for a while because 
Well, he didn't ever actually <laughs> join. And he didn't ever actually appear in the book. But he is apparently they tell him they tell me in retrospect that he was a member of that league. So that's Well, Superman's an alien, so you got that in there. No, Superman is a big white guy. He's a big (laughs) white alien. (laughs) Yeah. He this is the thing though. When it comes to that type of thing, I like that they have created Simon Baz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can accept the fact that they are trumpeting Simon Baz as the first Muslim superhero. And here's why. Last, what was it? 2006. Ted Cord is murdered. We get a new Blue Beetle. That new right. Blue Beetle happens to be a Hispanic. Oh, man, I love uh, that series. Jaime? Jaime Reyes. Great character. And the I, point of that was man. not that Jaime is, oh, here's here's our great new Hispanic character. It was, here's a character who we're going to do some fun things with. Here's his background. This is what he does. There were definitely elements of, look how Hispanic he is. Right. But it wasn't about the this new, awesome Hispanic character. Same thing when uh, Ryan Choi took over as the Adam. It wasn't about, here's the Asian Adam. It was the new Adam, who is also an Asian man. Now, granted, both of those examples are bad in that they killed them. Yes. <laughs> or canceled their titles. Well, canceled their titles. I mean, Jaime is still uh, is still Blue but Beetle somewhere. If, but. if Marvel made a big deal tomorrow and they said, here's our new superhero and she's black, not only would everyone look at Marvel like they were high, people would start putting up pictures of Storm with a, the O'Reilly thing like the owl. <laughs> yeah. that they That's still a thing. Right? Those memes are still relevant. Yeah, we'll no, talk about it. It's still good. It's still good. That's the thing. When John Stewart came out, when Luke Cage got his book, even 1977, when Black Lightning got his book, those black characters were a huge deal. It was a massive oh, sure deal it was. for that character to have his own title. And now, you know, well, 35 years later, Black Lightning is a beloved character, even though people think that, you know, all of the animated adaptations of him aren't called Black Lightning. Yeah. And they think he can fly with lightning coming out of his butt. Black Vulcan <laughs> is Black Lightning. Soul Power is Black Lightning. <laughs> Static, to some degree, is Black Lightning. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. that is awesome. And that's where Simon Baz, ideally, can lead us to where 20 years from now, when Mason is telling you about the new things in comics... You'll be like, why is that Batman look like he's from another place? And Mason will go, come on, Dad. That's the new Batman. That's Ibn al-Rashid, the new Batman. And he's like Arab-American and shut up, Dad. And take your pills, Dad. Because nobody's going to think of it as being a big deal. Because in 2007, Simon Baz was a big deal and well, everybody went. And that's, that's one does, of the why great things. Matter? That's one of the great things about my kid is that he comes from – Mixed race. So, right. you know, at some point, both of the kids are going to experience the goods and the bads mm-hmm. of that. But the good thing is, eventually, people are just going to accept it as a yeah, big deal. Yeah. You know, and, and ultimately, that's what people have, ex- hopefully, what people have done when they accept a gay character or a character of a different race or um, right. origin or whatever, is that eventually it just becomes not, oh, look, they got a Hispanic blue beetle, but. Damn it, I wish they would never have canceled the uh, old 50, you know, the pre-52 uh, mm-hmm. Blue Beetle, because that series was awesome. 
And if you look at, you know, today, if I say to you, who are, who are some of the coolest characters at DC? Who are the people that know. people like? You know. can look at characters Joker. like Cyborg. Yeah, Joker. Cyborg. Cyborg, you yeah. Cyborg. Sure, Cyborg. He had that cool cartoon. You know, it, Aquaman, he's, you know, he's another blonde guy, but that's not the point. He's, got <laughs> he's from Atlanta. He's kind of different. <laughs> he's from he's alien. He's from See, and that's the thing. But that's the thing. Those characters were different in ways that you couldn't see because in the 40s, they couldn't look right. different. Right. Mm-hmm. They were. Wonder Woman's made of clay, but she looks like a white girl. What? No Superman's way. from another planet, but he looks like a white girl. By 1955, John Jones is from another planet, but he's all green and lumpy. Oh, but you know, you know originally, by- when he wasn't all green and lumpy, what was he? He was a white guy. A white guy. But by 1989, <laughs> we get Tellus. Tellus is yellow and lumpy and has a frog face. Okay, we can get away with that. Yeah. yeah. And also, then this this pointy-eared guy over in Alpha Flight. He looks exactly the same, but he is different. He's Canadian. You know, it's, it's he's Canadian. <laughs> you know what they say about Canada? Yeah, yeah. Free healthcare. I actually had a, a maple bacon. Uh, I don't want to hear uh, about your cupcake today. adventures. It's not a cupcake. It it's got awful. bacon on it. It's a cookie. <clears throat> I don't. Like All right. So the, the more inclusion is good, meat. right? Bottom line. More inclusion mm-hmm. is always a good thing. Go, go back, go back and apologize good. to that uh, Facebook girl from Texas and say, yes, there no, is indeed a, no, no, a Muslim character. Here's the thing. She can be legitimately ticked off that they made Green Lantern into a Muslim. Do I think she's it's wrong? Not that they, <laughs> that, that's the way it gets portrayed. I think oh, of course it, it does. It's like they made Green Lantern uh an Arab. Well, no, they didn't really make. They made a new Green Lantern. Right. They didn't make. They didn't. Right. They didn't turn how Jordan. She doesn't know any of that. Yeah. Right. No, she that's the problem. Know anything about Green Lantern other than that movie had the guy from Van Wilder in it, and he was hot. <laughs> that's all she knows. And if okay. she wants to be upset about something that ridiculous, it is well and truly within her rights as a, as a human as, being to as stomp a, her an American with go, the internet. They've ruined something. <laughs> yeah. They've ruined something that I don't know or care about. <laughs> All right, listeners, we have started the conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed our conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed Zach on film. Uh, but we want you to Not contender the conversation. Film. All you need to do is head over to Majorspoilers.com, go into the comments section, and comment away. We enjoy reading everybody's uh, comments. We do. We do. And thank you, everyone, who's made a contribution, recurring donation. It's much appreciated. If you want to hear this show in its highest fidelity possible, even though it is in compressed MP3 files sent over the Internet, get a pair of tweaked audio headphones from our friends at tweakedaudio.com. At checkout, use the code MAJOR and get 30% off your uh, whatever, off the cost. A bunch of different uh, colors, varieties. They all sound good tweakedaudio.com. That wraps it up for this episode of Major Spoilers. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will check you next time, and you can check us next time. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. If I had the X-ray vision of a Superman, I could save some bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the rack. And although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he'd make me wait out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. 
can find a better way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would you bag and board your comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a major spoiler. Major Spoilers is copyright 2013. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.